Thanks, Katie. Just want to add my uh, welcome to, to Rick and Katie's, um, to you all, particularly um, if you're new amongst us. We love having visitors as, uh, as part of what we're doing, and uh, we recognize that it can be difficult for some to come into a room uh, where you're yet to get to know the people in it, and uh, just want to say it's really great to have you here. Um, you're so, so welcome. Um, for reasons I'm still trying to work out, my wife and I have started to watch the new series of The Apprentice. And um, if you don't know about The Apprentice, it's basically where they find the 18 most annoying people in the country. I think the rejects end up on Big Brother, don't they? Um, and they, they put them in a, in a business context, and they have a bit of a competition, and um, at the end of that, one of them ends up as uh, the business partner, uh, partner of, um, of Alan Sugar. And week by week, the winning team on the task always gets a reward. And sometimes the rewards are amazing. So uh, they've had trips to a volcanic spa in Iceland, uh, trips to Monaco, uh, meals by Michelin-starred chefs. Some weeks, the rewards aren't quite so good. So I think once they had a kickabout with David Seaman, the ex-Arsenal goalkeeper, um, they went bowling one week. <laughs> Hooray. And um, I mean, the one we, uh, we last watched, they got to drive robots into each other. Uh, that, that was it. And you think, OK, I'm sure they're very grateful, but it's no kind of volcanic spa in Iceland, is it? But it got me thinking about the, the concepts of rewards. And it's all, all around our, our culture, isn't it? I wonder what it means for you. Maybe it's to do with things that you eat and drink. You think rewards, you think that kind of area. For my wife and I, a reward is definitely a tub of Ben and Jerry's at the end of a hot week. Um, maybe it's a nice cold beer at the end of a tough day. Maybe you, you think more in terms of a, a sort of achievement uh, kind of idea. So, you, th you know, in, in school, it's so you work hard, you get the grades. In uni, it's you work hard, you get the degree. In, in, in work, in life, you work hard and you get a promotion or uh, a bonus at work or, or the lifestyle you can enjoy because of your hard work, etc. We're all wired to some extent to live for rewards. And we live, don't we, in, in a world that is very much concerned with the rewards of our actions. And the Bible actually has plenty to say on it. Um, it's, it's something, uh, the, the concept of rewards is mentioned 25 times in the New Testament. So that's Jesus uh, through to at the end of time. Uh, and, and yet, as I came to, to think about this and study this, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the concept of rewards in particular, eternal rewards. I wonder how many here have ever heard a sermon on eternal rewards? There's kind of ones and twos sort of around the room. Well, the topic of this morning, the title, if you like, is, uh, is Our Father Rewards. And my hope is that as, as we look at this, we are going to find uh, God to be a lavish father who loves to set us up to enjoy his wonderful rewards. So let me read to you from uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew is one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. It was written by uh, one of his, his close followers. Um, and we're looking at verses 5 and 6, and it'll come up on the screen. So Jesus says this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. Jesus is in the midst here of, of discussing the three most important topics to his Jewish hearers of, of the time. Um, so that is uh, giving, financial giving, praying, and fasting. And for the Jews of the day, they thought if you could really nail those things, then you were really spiritual. You were a really great person. And um, what he says about each one of them <clears throat> has the same structure for each one. So he says four things. He says, firstly, don't do them just to be praised by men. Secondly, if you do do them for that reason, then you'll get man's, man's praise, but, but no more. Thirdly, instead, do them with a pure heart. Do them in secret if you have to. <laughs> and fourthly, if you do, if you do them with the right motives, your father will reward you. And actually, in doing so, Jesus gives each one of us a choice in life. We can either live our lives for the rewards that the world offers, or we can live our lives for the rewards that our father offers. So let's, let's have a look. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. He's saying that the hypocrites, they, they just do these things to be praised by men. Now, for the Jews of the time, it would be very easy to find themselves publicly praying. And that is because there were set times of the day where the Jewish people, wherever they were, had to stop what they were doing and recite their prayers. And in fact, one of the commentators tells this hilarious story of someone who is chasing an enemy of his with a knife, realizes it's the time to pray, stops his pursuit, recites his prayers as quickly as he can, and then he just carries on after his enemy anyway. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Jesus is saying, actually, for these guys who just so happen to find themselves on a street corner in front of everybody, just so happen to find themselves at the top of the synagogue steps. That's the wrong reason. Even their, even their posture in, in praying was very noticeable. They, they would pray with their arms out wide, hands up to heaven, and they would look up and they would pray like this. Very, very noticeable. And yet, the position that they pray in, or the place they are when they pray, isn't the real issue. The trouble was the place and the position of their heart was in the wrong place. They were doing it to try and look good. Doing it to try and look like they've got a godly heart. But in reality, they just wanted to look good. They just wanted the world to praise them, to see them, to think, oh, you're really spiritual. And that's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. What they do in public doesn't match who they are in private and what's on their heart. And for us, we kind of hear that, and you think, oh, well, you know, how silly. Of course you're not meant to do it like that. Of course it's not all meant to be about a show. But you know, as I've gone through these verses, I've found so many times I've had to re-examine my own heart and my own motives for why I do things. So many times I've caught myself with, with mixed motives and had to call things out for what they are, the ridiculous nature for what they are, rise above them and fix my eyes firmly on Jesus. You know, that, that might just be to do with, with things in church, but even in seeking much of what the world offers to us, it can come down to just wanting to look good. 
It can come down to wanting to be affirmed by, by those around us. Yet how many people in the world pursue influence or fame or status or wealth or career success? And but for the call of God on your life in those situations, it can just come down to a desire to be seen as someone important. But what did Jesus say? Oh, he says that those who live like that have received their reward in full. Those who live to look good, well, they've received it. They've received their reward. That's all they'll get. And in fact, by, by living that way, they are robbing themselves of the Father's reward. My wife, Emma, was telling me about an experiment that um, was, was done on some children uh, ages four to six back in the 1960s. Uh, where they put these children in a room and they placed in front of them a treat, something they really liked. It differed according child to child, as, depending on what their preferences were. Put a treat in front of them. And they said to these children, you can have this treat right now. You can eat it. But if you wait 15 minutes, we will give you two treats. And you can imagine the agony, can't you? The poor little four-year-old who desperately wants to eat his Oreo cookie I've really got to try and wait. That's what Jesus is saying the hypocrites are like. He's eating that treat right now. And yet, instead, Jesus gives a radical two-treat alternative. Much more than two treats. But he says that if you live for the reward that is offered by the Father, how much more glorious is that? Jesus says that the rewards, those who live for the reward offered by the Father, live from a heart that is formed in the secret place. He says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. He says that those for, are for the person who lives their life before the audience of God alone. For the people who acknowledge that the Father's reward is so much greater than anything the world can offer. He says that the Father rewards every single decision that is made in a secret place, made with the pure heart. And that means that every time you say, I'm going to pray for that person, I'm going to give some money to that person, I'm going to tell that person about Jesus, I'm going to offer to pray for that person to be healed, I'm going to tell my work colleagues I'm a Christian, I'm not going to engage in that thing that I know to be wrong. Every time you do it, and you do it for him, Jesus says, the Father sees it, and the Father will reward it. Which leaves us with the question, what is the reward? What is the reward that the Bible speaks of? And the Bible certainly allows for the concept of being entrusted with more or, or rewarded as, as the fruit of, of our obedience here on the earth. And, um, and that's not just meaning having lots of possessions or money or fame or that sort of thing. That, that's a very dangerous line to go down, actually. That's perhaps for another day. But when the Bible uses the term rewards or the concept rewards, it's talking about something that is primarily eternal or heavenly. Something that is centered on Jesus Christ himself and something that is given on the basis of our obedience to Christ during this life. 
Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing. <clears throat> he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, so that each one may receive what is due. It says that the rewards are given on the basis of our obedience. And that makes sense from how the world operates, doesn't it? You do something, you get something. That, that's, that's the culture in which we live. And yet, we live for Jesus' kingdom. That turns the world upside down, don't we? A kingdom that, that gives what we don't deserve. That's why in churches you see so many blokes who have married ladies that you think, how on earth did they end up with her? <laughs> Gives what they don't deserve. Turns the world upside down. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's the grace of God that gives us this wonderful gift of salvation. <laughs> and yet, when you hear that rewards are given on the basis of our obedience to Christ, you could be forgiven for thinking, what happened to grace? What happened to God's unmerited favor? Now, come on, JP, this is Grace Church. It sounds to me a little works church, obedience church. Come on, what's happened? Well, let me explain. The Bible's very, very clear that our obedience is not the ground or the basis or the foundation of our acceptance before God. Not now and not in the age to come. It says, by works of the law, so by doing good things, nobody will be justified. Nobody will be made right before God. The things we do don't make us right before God. They are not the basis of him being pleased with us. It is solely Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. It's all his doing. It's all a wonderful, undeserved gift to us. And so what that means is that if you put your trust in Jesus, then you are in eternally, forever. The Father is pleased with you because Jesus has brought that on your behalf. So if you hear and you've got questions about Jesus and you're not sure about what it means to know him, it's very simple. You say yes to him. And you get acceptance forevermore. You become a child of the Most High God. He got plans for you, purposes for you. And once you're in, He begins to change you. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in your life so that your character becomes, begins to become more like Him. Your decisions begin to be more in line with His will for your life. You begin to act as He would. It's what leads, um, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, two uh, followers of Jesus, who've just been, um, they've just been persecuted for their faith, just been beaten because they were Christians. And they come out of it rejoicing. You know, how, how can this be? And in the, in the midst of explaining why it is they can find such joy amid such pain, they say, do you know what? They don't say that, that's not in the Greek. They say... We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. 
We can't help but speak because of him. We can't help but love, but serve, but give, but pray, but honor one another because of him, because of what he's done in our lives, because of the way he changes us. We can't help but act more and more like him. James chapter 2 says, actually, if there's no works to accompany our faith, then it's, it's dead faith. There's no life in the faith. So our obedience confirms our salvation. It's not the foundation, but the confirmation that we will obtain eternal life. But actually, all the Bible has to say on the eternal consequences of our obedience or even our disobedience, it doesn't stop there. And that's actually where many Christians stop. You might hear people say, oh, just to be in heaven is enough. That's my reward. Well, not for Scripture. Scripture goes deeper than that. It says that our obedience results in particular rewards being given in the age to come and that those rewards differ from person to person in measure according to our works on earth. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. I think this is up on the screen as well. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he undergirds it all. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It's like made known. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the work survives the fire. You get reward. The work's burned up. You suffer loss. It's, what, um, it's summed up quite well by Russell Crowe in the, one of the greatest films ever made, Gladiator. Some of you are smirking because you can see what's coming. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And yet, and yet, in heaven, everyone Everyone will be utterly full of joy. Everyone will be completely happy. Everyone will be totally fulfilled. <coughs> Everyone will be amazed at the wonder of seeing him in his beauty. Just think about this for a moment. This is the one that you have been worshipping. This is the one that you long to encounter more and more. The one that you long to be more like. You are going to see him in all of his glory. It is going to be magnificent. You are going to be there. He is going to be before you. A tremendous display of his splendor. You will spend eternity worshipping Jesus, ruling the new heavens and the new earth that he has created, ruling it along with him, leading and being led, serving and being served, eating and drinking at his table, and celebrating him for his incredible plan for bringing about a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. You do realize it's going to be fun, right? 
It sometimes can be hard for us to think about. We have such an earthly perspective, don't we? But when the Lord made the heavens and the earth, he said it was good. And actually everything that is good will be magnified through into eternity. Whatever you enjoy about this life that is pure and true and noble of all he has created will be magnified through into eternity. The feelings you have as you experience the delight of being his child, of enjoying the creation that he has made, the gifts that he has given you, it will be magnified through into eternity. I want you for a moment just to look around the room. Just look at each other for a moment. What a, what a beautiful bunch of people you all are. We are here in Nottingham, in England, in Europe, not for a limited period of time, <laughs> in, in the UK, etc., in this universe. One day, we will live in Nottingham, in England, wherever, no more. We will live on the new heavens and the new earth that he has created. We are actually going to be there. And if you want a taste of what it's going to be like, then the Bible points you to the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. It says that he is the deposit that guarantees your inheritance to come. So if you think about the times where he increases his presence so tangibly amongst us, and you just think, this is glorious, I know of no better feeling than being in the presence of God. It's going to be magnified through into eternity. If you think about the Spirit working amongst us as a family, when he does things that make you go, wow, it's going to be magnified into eternity. He's got such joy for us. There will be no gap in anyone's delight. No gap, at frust no, no frustration with the differences in rewards. No envy or arrogance or boasting because there's no sin. But instead, thankfulness and humility and awe. It's all centered on Christ. It's all about him, isn't it? That's God's plan. That's what Phil read out earlier from the start of John. All things were made through him. The Bible says all things were made for him. And in him all things hold together. It's all about him. He has forever been the plan. And he will be there on that great day. Still bearing the marks of the cross in the palms of his hand. He will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Roaring with sovereignty over everything. And he will be the lamb who was slain. He will be there and we will be worshipping him. And if it's all about him, then ultimately that means that Christ himself is the point of our reward. He's the realization of our reward. He's the purpose of our reward. He is the end goal of the reward that the Father gives us. It's a little bit like... When my wife and I first got together, she was working in Bedford. I met her at a conference. We went on some early dates. And um, I remember one uh, in particular, uh, which was in Leicester. And uh, we were in a restaurant. And I was a bit nervous. And I was driving. So I thought, let's, let's not have a beer. Let's just order some fruit juice drink or something. 
And this thing came along. And it was the most feminine drink you could possibly imagine. It was dainty, it was pink, and it even had an umbrella in it. And I felt like saying to the waiter, come on, can't you see him on a date? Please just put some food coloring in or something. But thankfully, we got past that. And we got engaged and we got married. And the rewards of my pursuit of her was that we got to get married and I get to live with her. And yet, that's not the end in itself. Marriage isn't the end of the rewards because well, you could be married to anyone. Living with someone is not the end in itself because you could live with anyone. But Emma is my reward. And I suppose technically I am hers as well. And I remind her of this every single day. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's more appropriate probably to talk about suffering in that context. <laughs> Christ is the point of our rewards. So if our heavenly rewards differ according to our obedience to Christ in this life, but yet everyone is eternally, completely happy with no sense of disappointment at missed rewards... If he is the point of our rewards, then you can see how the differences between those rewards relate to differing capacities to delight in him and enjoy him, of which each one's capacity is absolutely full to the brim. Now, no illustration is perfect here because we are talking about something that is beyond comparison. But it's a little bit like if you imagine a family that are about to go out to a really posh restaurant. And mum and dad are super excited about this because they understand the special family occasion. They know something about the technical cooking that, that will be going on there, something of, of what it means to put together a menu and the appreciation of the atmosphere, the sense of occasion. They are so looking forward to it. The little kids, they are also really excited about this trip because this restaurant has the best bread rolls that you could ever come across. They are different sizes, different shapes, different colors, and you can have as many of them as you like. Now, as that day approaches, all four of them are really excited, full to the brim with excitement about this trip. And yet their capacities to appreciate all that it is are so different, aren't they? And the, the difficulty with, with the illustration, the obvious downside is you can look at the kids and think, oh, well, you know, they've obviously got a way to go. But you can't take their excitement away from them. They are full to the brim with excitement about getting these bread rolls. And yet, don't you long to be like the parents? Don't you long to have such a deep appreciation and enjoyment of him? Because the greater our rewards, the greater our capacity to appreciate him. Now, when I was looking through this, I, I got to this point and I thought, wow, that, that, that really is amazing. That, that changes my perspective. But it still feels a little bit like I need to go around and do a whole lot of good stuff to get, to get a good reward. It feels a bit, a bit works-based. Until I felt the Father in his kindness reveal to me the missing link, which is that every time we do 
an act of obedience for him. Every time we choose Jesus in a situation, every time we do what's right for him, regardless of the consequences, it is all a result of his grace anyway. It's all his grace. Paul put it like this in in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He says, I did all this stuff. I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God being given to me. Ephesians chapter 2 says that actually God in his goodness puts good things in advance for us to walk into. So as we're going about our life, suddenly we come across these opportunities to honor him, serve him, glorify him. But he's the one that's put them there. So whose responsibility is it? It's ours and it's God's. We do it, we make the choices, we, we take the opportunity, but yet it's all under his sovereignty. He's the one that's given us the grace to do it. And that means that gaining eternal reward is not solely down to us scurrying around desperately trying to do good. That's not the gospel. And in fact, we can't do good deeds. We can't be obedient to Christ just of our own back. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will already know that. If you're new into the faith, you will soon find that out. But actually, the Christian life is a journey of understanding and appreciating more and more of his grace on us. And this is the bit that gets me really excited. So when the Bible speaks about rewards, it speaks of a lavish father who deliberately chooses to give his people the grace to do what he has called them to do and then rewards them for doing it. He rewards the fruit of his own action in our lives. Wow. What a father. He graciously and extravagantly rewards us for doing the very things he has enabled us to do so that we might enjoy him more. What a plan. Let me just make a couple of application comments to finish. The first one is, as we understand what it means to receive the Father's grace, to do what he's called us to do and get a reward in the midst of it, it speaks into situations of suffering. It speaks right into the heart of difficulties. Because when you choose Christ and choose to honor him and live for him in the midst of all that is going on and the difficulty and the pain and the tears and that I don't know when this is going to end or I don't like the ending, you deepen your reward. Paul says that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory That is to be revealed in us. 
I'm sure in, in a room this size, there will be all manner of horrific situations. People facing really difficult times. And yet this is the lavish father who loves to reward. Who says that right in the midst of that, in the midst of the pain and the questions and the tears, if you choose him, you deepen your reward into eternity. You deepen your appreciation of him. You become more like him as you do. That's not to lessen the pain that you're going through at all. He's right there alongside you. But he gives tremendous hope. It's actually how Jesus lived, isn't it? Underwent suffering for the sake of something far greater. And on that great day, you will hear his commendation of your choice to live for him in the midst of it. Second thing is that it changes your life's goal, doesn't it? We go back to that question I said about at the start, Jesus' question to all of us. What is it that you want to live for? Is it the opportunities that the world has to offer to live for status or achievement or importance? The opportunities to look like someone strong in the world? Or do you want to live for something far greater? Because in foregoing being noticed by the world, and maybe even casting aside some of the opportunities that it offers, you can live a life of radical obedience before an audience of God alone. And in doing so, you live to receive the rewards of our lavish Father, and all to deepen your delight eternally in His Son. And if so, that's how you want to live. Jesus invites you back to the secret place. Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father in heaven. He invites you to lay your heart open before him, to allow him to shape you and to reward the fruit of his own grace in your life. Because on that great day, everything that is hidden will be made known. And on that day, we will hear him say, look at what Sam Parfit did for me in the secret place. Look at what Sarah Dornier did for me in the secret place. Look at what Henry did for me. Look at what Matt did for me. Look at what Tashan did for me in the secret place. And it will be a wonderful demonstration of his glory. Even though right now those things may not be known about or seen or appreciated by anyone. Every time you choose him on that great day, it's building your commendation. It's building your eternal delight in him. It will be a magnificent display of his glory. You will worship him for giving you the grace to do it. And because you did it for him, he will deepen your rewards. Because he's the lavish father and he loves to reward.